guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. So guys, today on Habits and Hustle, we have Jimmy DeSico, who is the oldest brother and also the CEO and co-founder of Super Coffee. Uh, For those of you who don't know what Super Coffee is, it is now have become the fastest growing bottled coffee company behind Starbucks. Uh, Jimmy is a former collegiate athlete who actually left his job on Wall Street six years ago to start this company with his two brothers. Uh, and he started it out of uh, his youngest brother's dorm room. Since then, he's raised hundreds of millions of dollars from celebrity investors, including J-Lo, A-Rod, Patrick Schwarzenegger, Aaron Rodgers, and the list goes on. Super Coffee has now been evaluated at over $500 million and growing. And Jimmy and his brothers place a super strong emphasis on corporate culture And Super Coffee was recently honored as one of Inc.'s best workplaces for the second consecutive year. They firmly believe in spreading positive energy, and the mantra they use is, work hard, be nice to people. In addition to being hard at work themselves and growing their business, they are super dedicated to fitness and a healthy lifestyle. They work out at the crack of dawn, living the healthy and positive energy that they really promote at Super Coffee. I really enjoyed speaking to Jimmy. He's super authentic, very honest, got some really great uh, tips and tricks and facts of what it is like to be a young entrepreneur and, um, and build a business from, from scratch. Enjoy the episode. It was, I really liked it. Hope you do too. Well, thanks, Jimmy, for being on uh, Habits and Hustle. You have quite a story. Um, for If you guys haven't heard the intro... Uh, Jimmy is one of three found. He's one of three brothers, and they co-founded. He's a co-founder of Super Coffee, which is the fastest-growing coffee chain at, behind Starbucks. Is that right? Close. We are we are bottled coffee, so we're the uh, we're the second largest bottled coffee in the U.S. right now, behind Starbucks. Bo- okay, so in my notes, it didn't say. Bo- I know you are bottled coffee because I actually drink it. I ha- I actually had your creamer, your French vanilla creamer, in my coffee today. Ooh, let's go. Did you like it? Yeah, I did. I like, I like the one that's the 15 calorie serving better than the one that's the 40 calorie serving. Yeah. So that's, I different. think that's our plant-based. Yeah. You, you're going with the plant-based one uh, as well. So yeah, we're, uh, we're excited. Creamer is not something we dreamed about getting into, but it seems <laughs> like a national, a natural extension for us. Absolutely. Well, your story is pretty phenomenal. So like, let's, let's just dive right in. So you and your two brothers, you guys were called, were you guys living in a, a dorm? Just kind of tell me your story. Cause for, as far as I know, and like I was talking before, I just jumped right, jumped you right in here. Um, you basically are beloved by everybody and you're <laughs> doing something right. Uh, you guys are super young. You've, you're growing this, this coffee brand exponentially like quick, very, very quickly and you're getting you're getting like all these like huge names to be investors. Like I heard you have J Lo and A Rod, and I want to know like how this like little kid is like doing this. So please, the floor is yours, Jimmy. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it, Jennifer, and thanks for giving us a chance to share our story. Uh, so I'm the oldest of three boys, and we all played sports in college. Ath- athletics was a big part of of our lifestyles growing up. Mom and dad were both college athletes, and teamwork and, and being on teams was really all we knew. Uh, in, in college, my, my youngest brother, Jordan, he played basketball 
and he didn't want to drink the sugary bottled coffees and energy drinks that his school store offered. His coach was old school. He had 5 a.m. practice, late nights in the library, and he, uh, he started brewing coffee and adding functional ingredients like protein and healthy fats and zero sugar. Everything was sweetened with monk fruit or stevia all for himself. You know, he never, I mean, he was a full scholarship starting point guard. Like he did not want to, he, he had no intention of, of doing this, but the product that he created for himself worked so well uh, that he started selling it to his teammates and his classmates and his coaches. And that's when heading into his sophomore year, he called me and my brother Jake and said, Hey fellas, I, I have a business opportunity here. And as a full-time student athlete, I'm not going to be able to bring this to life. So I'm dropping out of school to start a coffee company. And Wow. So wait, hold yeah. on. Before you go any further, let me just kind of like make sure it's so your brother, your youngest brother created the what was what was the what was the original recipe? What was he doing? What was he putting in it that was like the the secret sauce? What was he doing? Yeah, so this was this was 2016. And, and back then, and really today too, coffee was just coffee with milk and sugar. You know, every bottle of coffee was that that's what was added to it, milk and sugar. And Starbucks had 46 grams of sugar and a bunch of fat from from cream and milk. Uh, so he would instead of adding milk and sugar to his coffee, he would take organic Colombian coffee, two cups for every bottle. He would add 10 grams of protein to make it creamy without any lactose or sugars to slow him down add MCT oil, which is just a healthy fat from coconuts. Our body burns that for fuel. It works with the caffeine. It's a, sort of a carrier for, for energy. Uh, and then he would sweeten it with monk fruit, which was an all natural sweetener. It's plant-based sweetener from, from Southeast Asia. Uh, and that, that combination tasted like a Starbucks Frappuccino, but it was only 70 calories instead of 300 calories and had zero sugar instead of 46 grams. Uh, so he was like, look, this thing tastes good. It's good for me. And it makes me feel good. So was it like, what kind of protein was he putting in? And also I believe by like, you know, there's a huge, there is a huge craze. People put butter in their coffee for the MCT oil and for the fat and for all that stuff. So, um, how, why didn't he just do that? Was he not drinking that the bulletproof coffee or he, did he try it? Did he not think it was like sufficient enough? Like what was the reason? Yeah. No, it's a good question. And he was certainly inspired by Bulletproof Coffee. Back then, Bulletproof was mainly just a blog and a recipe by, by Dave Asprey. And uh, he, would put the, he would put the butter and the, the protein in it, or the MCT oil in his coffee. And it, it gave him such energy that he was like, this is great. But he had 5 a.m. practice, you know, so he didn't want to wake up at four and brew a pot of coffee and melt the butter and make the whole mess and, and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So uh, and if you if you make bulletproof coffee and then put it in the fridge for the next day, the butter congeals, like mm -hmm. it becomes solid. So you can't really drink it. So he removed the butter, he added protein, he kept the MCT oil and, and found something, found a flavor that worked for him and could stay in the fridge for the week. Oh, so you could, so yeah. So it was more, it was more, it, it was more available, like in terms of your, for like lifestyle, convenient. It was more convenient. What type yeah, of protein did he use? Uh, he started out with whey protein, all mm -hmm. lactose free. Uh, and now we have a line that French vanilla creamer that you try. That's a, a plant-based protein, mainly pea protein in there. Uh, but 50, 50, we have a, a whey protein line and a plant-based line. Okay. So then, okay. So then he has this thing, it comes to you guys. And so at the time your brother was how old then he was like, what, 19, 20 years old. He was 19. Yeah. 19. And how old were, how old are you got? How old are you? I was 22 at the time. Uh, Jake was 21. So today I'm 29, Jake's 28 and Jordan's 26. Wow. Okay. So, okay, perfect. So then let's, okay. So then he says this to you guys and you guys are, what were you taking in school? What were you doing when he came to you? So I had just graduated. This was actually, uh, 
August of 2016, sorry, August of 2015, when Jordan decided to drop out, I graduated in May of 20, 2015. So three months earlier, I was a philosophy major, captain of the football team, uh, liberal arts school. You know, I didn't know what a startup was. I'd never seen a pitch deck before. I, I knew nothing about entrepreneurship. Our mom worked at the YMCA. Our dad was a construction worker. And uh, wow. I, I was working. Yeah, I worked. For, I ended up working for a Colgate alum right out of school. I was a financial analyst uh, on, on Wall Street for three months. And then once Jordan called me and said he's dropping out, I was like, damn, man, I can't let you do this by yourself. I feel like you're going to mess your life up. So I'll, I'll come supervise this situation. I thought my involvement was going to be temporary. You know, I was going to help him get started and form the company and get his, his feet off the ground. And now uh, six years later, I'm still stuck here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, where, where did you go to college? Where did you guys all go to college? I went to Colgate University in upstate New York. Uh, my brother Jake played football at Georgetown, and then Jordan played basketball at Philadelphia University. Got it. Okay. So then you decided to leave. Great. And then your other brother, what was at the time, what was he doing? The third he brother. was heading in. So that August, he was heading into his senior football season at Georgetown. And he, I give him a lot of credit. He didn't drop out of school. He was, he was two semesters away from a Georgetown degree. He had a great senior football season. Uh, and he was like, look, guys, I, I'm all in on this coffee thing. I got to graduate from Georgetown. I will give you every waking hour that I'm not in class or on the football field. And so he sacrificed a lot of his senior year social life to uh, to build this business with us. Great. So then what was the first step? So now you guys are all now you guys are you guys decided, OK, we're going to like take this product and we're going to create something. So if you had no experience with entrepreneurship and your parents, obviously, as you said, weren't entrepreneurs, they were working. Your mom is at the YMCA. What was she doing at the YMCA? Was she teaching a class? What was she? Yeah. Yeah, she would teach classes. She was like an athletic director, but she taught like, I remember as kids, we'd go in and she'd be doing like the, uh, the, the not the yoga, but you know, like when the old ladies have the step up and they're like, yes. their hands and shit. That's what my mom used to teach. Yeah. <laughs> like you mean like step class? Exactly. Step, step class. class yeah. <laughs> aerobics. You're teaching aerobics. Aerobics. Exactly. Aerobics. And it was senior citizen. So I'm not, I'm not being rude about old ladies. It was, it was actually senior citizens. My my parents had three kids by the time they were 25. So my mom was like this 30 year old lady just teaching aerobics class at the Y. Oh my God. I love that. That's what I used to do when I was going through college, by the way, that's how I know what you're talking about. I taught aerobics. Nice. Um, yeah. So, okay. So then basically then, um, Walk me through this. If you guys didn't have any experience, although you said you were a philosophy major, how did you end up on Wall Street as an analyst? That's kind of a different, you know, ball of wax kind of thing. Very different. I think uh, it's all relationship driven, you know. So while I was at Colgate, I, I made it a point to connect with different alumni in different industries. I didn't really have a, a passion or a dream job of, of what I wanted to pursue. I just knew that I needed like just relationship equity was key and and I, uh, I ended up building a relationship with a Colgate football alum who who saw potential in me, and he was like, "Look, you're you're smart. You got a good head on your shoulders. I can teach you finance, you know." And and he gave me a shot. But I think that's the beautiful one of the beautiful things of living in America is you just need somebody to believe in you, and then you can learn the rest after that. That's absolutely true. You got to believe in yourself, number one, and then have somebody right. else, yeah, or someone else believing in you can help you believe in yourself. Um, Love that. So, right. So then what, so now, okay, now what? So now you kind of drop out, what's the, do you guys raise money? Walk me through. I want to know like every nuance of how you did it, because I think this is very, this could be a very um, like inspirational and also useful podcast for people who are really have an idea and they really want to go out there and uh, pursue it, but they don't have the courage and they don't have the, 
you know, they don't have the wherewithal. This is a, you know, you, you had no, you guys had no experience and you're like on your way. The company now is evaluated at what? 500 million. I heard. Is that accurate? Yeah. That yeah. was our series C this summer. So, I mean, you guys are doing something right. So tell people how three kids who had no idea what they were doing, how they did it. Yeah. So we, uh, I think you got to figure out what the, the most important metric that matters in your industry is. And, and for us, the, it was called velocity. You know, how many bottles per store per week could you sell? So it was a sales metric and we didn't, we didn't care about anything else. You know, like we, we, at, back then we handled everything. We made our product by hand. We made our own deliveries. We, we printed invoices through QuickBooks. Like we did the accounting. Uh, but we, we realized that none of that stuff mattered unless we were selling a lot of bottled coffee. Uh, so we, we raised $30,000 from two of our aunts, uh, and, and our family doesn't come from money. They, they never had any kids. So they're like, look, we're, we believe in you guys. We see how passionate you are about this. Let's, let's give this thing a shot. Uh, cool story is at the series C that we just raised that $30,000 that our aunts gave us, they just sold it for 4 million bucks. So they both retired immediately. Yeah. How cool is that? Oh my gosh. That's such a good story. I know. Super, super cool. And like, that was one of our proudest moments in, in doing this. But back then they, they believed in us. They never thought that it would turn into to what it is today. They were super excited about it. Uh, but with that 30,000, we rented a delivery van. We bought some plastic bottles. We bought some ingredients to make the coffee. And we showed up at Whole Foods in Washington, D.C., one store. This was before Amazon owned Whole Foods. So like you could get into the local program, kind of like a farmer's market type vibe. So we get we go into the Whole Foods store. We find the store manager and we say, hey, we're super coffee and, and you guys don't carry anything like this. And the guy was like, I mean, it doesn't really look good. It doesn't taste that great. But you guys said you go to school down the street. If you could bring your college friends into my store, I'll give you a shot. So that's kind of like, if you give us an inch, we've always taken a mile, but we've done it respectfully, you know, and, and like this guy, the guy who gave us that opportunity didn't think anything of it. We stayed in that store for eight hours on the first day. We broke their, their weekly sales record in our first day. We were just there pouring samples. I mean, it was a busy Sunday. Everybody was grocery shopping. And that, that momentum that we got from one store, we, we didn't leave that store pretty much for a month. We were there every day taking care of our shelf making deliveries, pouring samples. And we were the best selling bottle of coffee that store ever had. So we took that sales data to the store down the street and we said, Hey, we're super coffee. We're breaking records up the street. Get us into your store and you'll, you'll boost your coffee sales. And same thing. We, we stayed at that second store until we were breaking sales records. We wouldn't move on to a new store or a new neighborhood until we were the best selling bottle of coffee. And then we just scaled that from there. You know, we went from DC to Baltimore, to Philly, to New York, to, to Boston. And we didn't move on to a new area until we were the best selling bottle of coffee. And that sales data was what gave us confidence and it gave investors confidence that, okay, this isn't an idea anymore. These guys actually have something. Granted, it's on a small scale, but if I invest in them and they take my money and continue to replicate this strategy, this can be pretty big. So that's that's how we did it. And, and over the first six years, I mean, up, up until today, we've raised... I think $175 million from, from investors to continue to fuel that growth. Uh, we're 140 full-time employees sold in 50,000 stores across the country. It's been, it's been wild to think about those first days of making deliveries. That's amazing. So that's an interesting strategy. So you really, you really did the grassroots thing. You kind of, and you, and you didn't move on until you stayed at one store, focused on one store. And then when that was a super success, that's when you that that's when you moved on to store two, store three, but how did you? You guys, you're only three people. I mean, you don't have a lot of manpower. 
did you guys start hiring people to man the store? You know, so let's say you're doing the first Whole Foods. When you kind of reach that, that, like, that precipice, did you guys just not do sampling anymore and then just move on to store two? Or did you continue doing sampling at that store, but then also do store two and store three? And then did you have to hire people to man the, yeah. the demos? It's a great question. So um, we, so to this day, we still pour samples at those early Whole Foods, my, my brothers and I and, and our team. Uh, but for the first 18 months, it was just the three of us. And then we hired our first full-time employee 18 months into the business. Uh, we taught him the, the DC, Maryland area where we re really built up that book of business. And then my brothers and I moved to New York City to build, to build New York City out. Uh, and every, as we got traction in New York, we were able to raise money and continue to build out that team. But it, we probably stayed in the Northeast from DC to Boston for the first four years. Like we didn't expand to Texas or Chicago or, or LA really until years five and six. So then how, like, again, like, I mean, I'm still stuck on the sampling because to get to that level, I know, I, I know, you know, emerging brands, small little brands who are sampling, it's manpower, right? Like you need to have someone manning that booth for 10 hours a day. So then what were you, did you hire people to, to, you know, when you were moving on to New York, when you moved to New York, were these, did you hire students even to, to work these booths? Yeah. So we had one full-time kid in, in DC and he would hire like part-time summer interns and, and people right. who were willing to, to work on the weekends. Uh, and today we call it the positive energy project or the pep squad for short. So we have over 240 people in part of this ambassador program and they're pouring samples. They're showing up at local events, Spartan races, triathlons, marathons, things like that. So, uh, and they work hand in hand with our full-time sales force now. So yeah, I mean, it was manpower and, and there was nothing sexy about it. You know, I, I always tell yeah. brands like your job doesn't start when a, a place like Whole Foods says yes to take your product. Uh, sorry, that that's when your job begins. You know, a lot of people are like, yes, I got Whole Foods. Let me go focus on Target. It's like, no, you got Whole Foods. Now you got to get that product off the shelf. Right. So, I mean, we were, we were sort of myopically focused on what we call the boring basics. It's just fundamentals, you know, and, and, I mean, it's repetitive, it's redundant, it's not that fun, it's not that creative, uh, but I do not think that having a good product and a good brand is enough to be successful in this industry. You know, you still have to put in the hours to, to make sure that your, your product comes to life and stands out in a crowded category. Absolutely. I think that's a very good point. I think that people think that if you're in 50,000, you know, stores or, you know, I should say like, whatever, what do you call it? Not stores. They, you guys call it something else. Accounts. Uh, accounts or whatever. No, no, no. Like, I think it's like, whatever it is that your job is done. The problem is those stores can, they, those stores can also bankrupt you. Those chain, those accounts can bankrupt you because if you're not selling, they'll just take you off and you're done. Like they don't want your product. Like I know Costco's and stuff like that. Like, yeah, people are like, wow, I made it. I'm in Costco. Yeah. But now it's your job to get that product sold from Costco to the person's home or else that they will drop you after a certain amount of time. So that's true. I think that the job doesn't even begin until you actually, that's like where the hard work becomes, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so then how did you do it? So did you guys all divide and conquer? Like what was your, what is your role? What's your role? What's your brother's role? How did you divide and conquer or do you guys just all do everything? Yeah. In, in the early days, we all did everything. You know, we would rock, paper, scissors, shoot to see who had to wake up at 4am to make deliveries. Uh, and then as the business got bigger and we got to hire folks, uh, we each clearly defined our lanes. And, and it's not like we sat down one day and we said, Jordan, you're going to work on ops. Jake, you're going to take sales. Jimmy, you're going to go raise money. 
it's that's sort of naturally what happened as the business grew. Uh, those were the three most important things operationally making the product, you know, making sure we ordered ingredients, the supply chain was sound. We could get product there in time on time in full uh, selling product sales. Like I said, was the most important metric. Jake was a, just happens to be a great salesperson. Jordan, our founder, innovator, tinkerer. He loved the operational side of the business. So he lent himself. I mean, he's our chief operating officer. Jake's our chief revenue officer. And for me, I, I enjoyed working with investors and, and solving problems, bringing different advisors to the business. So today I oversee our finance and our marketing. Um, so I think we got lucky in that regard that our personalities sort of lent themselves to a third of the business. Uh, and if without that distinction and, and dividing a division of labor, uh, we would have killed each other. You know, if we had three people trying to be the CEO, it would have been a, a tough, tough place. But in the early days, we set our ego aside and we said, look, we're going to operate three people as, as one and, and do this uh, together and we're going to communicate. We're going to be real with each other and we're going to win. That's amazing. So then, OK, so now you're in New York and now what? How, what, what was the next tranche of money? You got 30000 from your aunt. What was the next round that you raised? So for the first three years, we raised like a series of convertible notes. So we raised mm. 5 million bucks in convertible notes and $100,000 here. Three months later, we'd raise 250. Three months later, we'd raise 500. All from random connections we, we made while honestly pouring samples. Uh, we, we don't come from money. So like we didn't have a, a network of investors. We were pouring samples at one Whole Foods in, in D.C., my brother Jake was wearing his Georgetown football shirt and this guy comes up. He's like, oh, go Hoyas. I'm a Georgetown alum. I love what you guys are doing. How can I help? And we're like, well, we're raising money, sir. And we don't know anybody. Like, could you make some introductions? That guy happened to be a lawyer and he got us in touch with five of his clients. And a couple of months later, those clients invested $500,000 into Super Coffee. And uh, from there, we were able to grow and, and, and scale. Uh, and then we didn't raise our first institutional round from a, a VC firm until... December of 2018. So three years in. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's amazing. So then how did you like, how are you making all of these like amazing connections from there? Are you just, are you also like a a, a really good networker? Like how did you get JLo or A-Rod or all these, like, don't you have a ton of different celebrities who are investors besides those two? I don't know exactly who yeah. else, but yeah, so we, we work with uh, a bunch of athletes. So we have Christian McCaffrey from the NFL, Baron yeah. Davis, former NBA player, uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger, you know, mm -hmm. his family participated early on uh, and, and little things. We, we went out Shark Tank in 2018 and some people reached out to us from that. Patrick DM'd us. Uh, Patrick Schwarzenegger saw us on Shark Tank and was like, fellas, this is great. Hold uh, on, hold on. You're on Shark Tank? Yeah. I, I, yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. I got to see that episode. So who were the, who were the sharks when you were on? That yeah. One? So when we went on, we had, uh, from left to right, it was Robert, Barbara, Lori, Mark Cuban, and Rohan Oza. Uh, and if you don't know Rohan, yeah, I know, I know Rohan. That's tell yeah. people who he is though. He has a really big, like a really great, uh, fund. What was it, what's yeah. it called? Kava? It's called Kavu. Yeah. So yeah. Rohan was the chief marketing officer at Vitamin Water and he helped sell that business to Coca-Cola for $4 billion. Uh, he was big, big investor in Buy Brands, which sold mm -hmm. by the antioxidant juice sold to Dr. Pepper for $1.7 So like Rohan is, like, like, he calls himself the Hollywood brand father. You know, he's, he's big <laughs> on like plugging celebrities into different, different brands. Started That's a right. VC fund that invests in food and beverage called Kavu. Um, and so he was our guest shark. We were super stoked to have him on the set because we thought for sure he was going to be our guy, you know, like this guy knows beverage. He's going to like us. We're, we're focused on the right things. 
and he ended up passing on us. We didn't even get an offer from any of the sharks. So we were, uh, we left the tank disappointed, but also determined to, to improve and sort of win despite not getting money on, on the show. Can you notice I find so incredible? First of all, you know, you're not the first person that I've met like in real life or in a podcast that have gone on to like create like billion dollar brands who've been on Shark Tank and they just they not not only do they not get an offer at all but they're like they're poo pooed on the show like they're like we're not even remotely interested like take a hike and like those people are going on to actually be more successful than the ones they actually do deals with which is I find to be so funny to me like yeah. it, it happens all the time yeah yeah I think. I mean, that, that paradox that you're talking about there, it, it just goes to show it's not I don't think the sharks have bad judgment. I just don't think that the stakes are very high for them. Right. There's right. not one deal that comes on that they need to do. You know, so like Rohan probably I mean, I'm, I'm, I've stayed in touch with Rohan and he, he totally respects and admires what we're doing. He could have easily done that deal. But Easy. the thing about the thing about Rohan was it was his first episode as a guest shark. We were literally the first company that pitched him and he tried it. He's like, boys, this is great. You guys are killing it. And then he realized that the other sharks weren't as excited. And he was like, you know what? I'm out. <laughs> oh, my God. Because that would be like, I was going to, I would think that you were going to say to me, oh, yeah, we're with Rohan, which would make perfect sense. Because, you know, he did, I think actually he had Poppy also, the new one. But like, you guys are just, cr I mean, it's like not even in the same category. I get, I just think that is so hilarious that you were on that episode with him, which this is his specialty. Right. And like, he must, he must be like really kicking himself now. He has to be, he has to yeah. be. No, I, it's, mean, I mean, I think he's doing just fine. You know, he's had a couple big, big wins under his belt, but, uh, recently uh, though, what has he had recent besides buy and vitamin water? I don't know. Uh, I was four years ago recently. Yeah. Not much. I mean, he's, he's still got some good brands that are like doing well, but haven't got it across the finish line and neither have yeah. we, you know, like we, we have a lot of, of work to do over the next couple, couple years to, uh, to make this thing a big success. Well, who is your big competition now anyway in the canned coffee area? So, I mean, you definitely have niche startups like Bulletproof that are more functional and focused on biohacking and the keto diet. Uh, then you have more craft players like Blue Bottle and La Colombe. Uh, La Colombe is a, a similar, similar mm -hmm. brand to ours. Uh, but then you have the big guys. You know, it's Starbucks and it's Dunkin' Donuts. And, and Starbucks yeah. is distributed by Pepsi and Dunkin' is distributed by Coke. So uh, just this year, we finally passed we finally passed Dunkin' Donuts as the number two bottled coffee in the U.S. That is just incredible. So I, I mean, that is unbelievable. I mean, it's very, very, very difficult. I mean, if people don't are not in this particular area, I know that it's I even know it's so difficult in a saturated, saturated market, especially in a product that needs to be refrigerated, right? Like you have to, it's very competitive. You need to move stuff. Your product doesn't need to be refrigerated technically. Like the, it doesn't unless you, until you open it, until you open it. Right. That's right. Yeah. Shelf stable, uh, which is great. That's really allowed us to build big displays in grocery stores and ship product through direct and consumer. Uh, but it's best re enjoyed refrigerated. We say cold is sold. Yeah, cold is sold. Well, you know, when I go to when I go to the grocery store, it's always in the uh, refrigerator area. It's not in the shelf stable area, so that's a good thing. You know, that's good. Uh, yeah. Okay, so get back to this. So then, how did you get? Okay, so you're on Shark Tank. I, I digress there. So how did you get all these big big athletes and big celebrities? What was the like? I got. I know how you got those lawyers through that one guy who demoed the product. Yeah. 
right, was exactly. JLo at was JLo at Arrow One one day and she's like, damn, <laughs> I love this product. I mean. No, so we actually um, we had a our first CFO. He had a connection who worked at a, a private equity fund in California, and and they ended up investing in our Series A. They're, they're still investors today. It's called Skyview Capital. Okay. Um, so they invested in us and, and were great making introductions throughout LA and throughout that, that scene. Uh, that's how we met Baron Davis. And, and through those guys, we ended up getting introduced to uh, one of A-Rod's business partners. And Alex is, is one of our, I mean, we, we grew up in New York, so, so we're Yankee fans. You know, my brother Jake used to wear number 13 because he wanted to be like Alex Rodriguez. Uh, so we were thrilled to have this, this opportunity. And now that he's in his post baseball career, like he's really determined to become a business billionaire. You know, he just bought the, uh, the, the Timberwolves. He's made some great real estate investments. Uh, Warren Buffett's one of his mentors. Like he's a really impressive guy. And, and, uh, he knows that by investing in high growth startups, like that's how he's, how he's going to do it. So, uh, we had a zoom call with him in the, this was last summer, June of 2020. And we had a Zoom call with him and we see this this woman's arm in the Zoom. And I'm like, fellas, that's that's not his assistant. That's gotta be that's gotta be JLo. <laughs> and sure enough, like she pops in like midway through, she's like, Hey boys. And we're like, Hello, Mrs. Lopez. <laughs> like, nice to see you. And uh, they ended up doing a big deal. They the the two of them combined invested eight and a half million dollars into uh, into super coffee. Today, obviously now that they've they've split up, uh, it's a little bit complicated behind the scenes because they have like a joint fund that they uh, they participated in. Oh my, yeah. What's going to happen? How does that how does that work? I don't know. I mean, the business is doing well, so I think they're both happy to be investors. Uh, we have we have more contact with him than with her since he sort of sourced this investment. What first of all, that's like I'm surprised that they put that much money in because it's a, like it doesn't matter how successful or how rich somebody is because. Usually it's those people who are much more modest and they'll go in with like the lowest amount and see what happens. They'll like disperse a lot. The fact that they would put that much money in, I would, I think that's, that just is, that just says so much about your, you guys and your product really. Like that's a lot for one, for like one person. Totally. No, that's, that's a lot for everybody, for anybody. And, and we were, we were excited about it. And and like I said, that he, they together, they want to make big wins, you know, so like they're not in the business of investing a hundred grand to make 500 grand, you know, that yeah. doesn't really move the needle for them. Uh, but if they invest eight or 10, maybe they make 50, you know, and, and that's, that's a meaningful, that's a meaningful return for, for them at this point in their careers. Absolutely. So then who else are some, like, so how much, what, what other athletes or people did you say that you have, or, or who are the big investors? More from our guest, but first a few words from our sponsor. Entrepreneurs are always on the lookout for effective new techniques and ideas to level up their capabilities. But sometimes, as optimized as we want our personal and professional lives to be, it's our tech that holds us back. In this age of remote work, that has never been more true. Introducing Samsung's Galaxy Z Fold 3 5G, a powerful foldable device that is opening up a new world of mobile productivity giving you greater flexibility to get business done. The Galaxy Z Fold is not just a phone. Open it out and it becomes a tablet with an edge-to-edge 7.6-inch screen. Connect it wirelessly to a smart monitor or a TV and it delivers a PC-like computer experience. You can even flex the Galaxy Z Fold 3 so it stands upright on its own while you video conference hands-free. 
In tablet mode, you can use multi-active window to work across three apps simultaneously. An optimized life deserves an optimized mobile device. With Galaxy Z Fold 3, entrepreneurs get a three-in-one powerhouse designed to make multitasking easy and seamless at work, at home, and everywhere in between. Learn more at samsung.com slash galaxy Z for work. That's samsung.com slash galaxy Z for work. And now to our next sponsor. So a lot of investment apps make it easy to start trading, but just because it's easy to do doesn't mean you know what you're doing. That's what makes Wealthfront different. They make it easy to invest and they make it easy to get smarter about investing. After answering just a couple of questions, Wealthfront will build you a diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds in just minutes. And best of all, Wealthfront is totally automated. They do all the trading, all the rebalancing, and they can even help you lower your tax bill while you invest. To start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to Wealthfront.com slash hustle. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash hustle to start building your wealth. That's wealthfront.com slash hustle to get started today. Yeah. So uh, Christian McCaffrey, who's the running back for the Panthers, um, DeAndre Hopkins, wide receiver for the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. Uh, We did a small deal with Kevin Hart through his Heartbeat Ventures, which is Mm. cool. Um, a lot of these deals are silent investors, you know, like in, these athletes and, and celebrities are smart, right? They're like, look, we'll give you our capital because we think this is a good investment for us. But if you want to use our name, image and likeness, like there's a there's a price that you have to pay. You know, Pepsi's paying guys like LeBron James millions of dollars a year. Uh, so they recognize that unless they own a significant chunk of the company, they're not really incentivized to, to promote. So. I mean, Alex is a little bit different. You know, he's, he's proud to be an investor in Super Coffee. So you'll see him posting it on his stories and talking about it on Sunday Night Baseball. Um, so, so we got lucky there. Uh, but we're not in the business. Like, it's not, it doesn't make sense for us financially to pay somebody seven figures to endorse our products. No, absolutely not. Although I have a question for you because you are a, a, a brand that's doing quite well. I find that there is a trend with that. I find that, you know, a lot of these like connected, like Tonal or Hyperice, a lot of like fitness and wellness brands, they are getting most of their strategic investors are coming from athletes and celebrities. And that's kind of been like, I feel like it's a trend that people are are doing that, you know, with like Hyperice or like Tonal, you have LeBron James, like he's now doing this whole thing with Tonal. I'm sure you've seen it, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I saw the commercial last night. I was like, how much are they paying this guy? Can you imagine? I, yeah. I, I can't even like, but I thought that, I think he's an investor, but yeah. th- that was my point too. It's like, he's making like a hundred million dollars, you know, like crazy money from like a, a Nike or whoever. How is how is that working? How are they able to like utilize? Are they paying him, or is it really just like, hey, we can do this, and we'll give you a shit ton of back end? You know, you don't have to give us any money. We'll just give you, we'll practically give you the company if you just become our spokesperson. Yeah, I think it's a deal like that where it's a stock option deal, and we've done stuff like that in the past where an athlete would invest a hundred grand. And then we would give them a hundred grand in stock options in exchange for marketing services. So there's market rates, you know, LeBron might say, yo, for one post on Instagram, that's $500,000. 
you know, so for us, we would never pay that. But if LeBron wanted to invest $500,000, maybe we give him an additional 500,000 in stock options in exchange for the social media and in-person appearance, some videos, things like that. And uh, something on the tonal level, like that commercial is sweet and that thing's running a lot. Uh, that's probably, I mean, I imagine LeBron owns 20% of that business, you know, to be totally. as, as involved. As oh, absolutely. Do you not notice that? Is that why, is that becoming a bigger trend now with wellness companies to be really using, uh, celebrities and athletes as their, I guess they're like, they're picking investors who are strategic for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good for athletes too. Right. Cause I mean, if tonal sells for a billion dollars and LeBron owns a 20% of it, you know, that's 200, Absolutely. that's more than he's made in the last five years of playing. So that, I, I think, yes, I think it's tricky because, uh, can like, I love all of our athletes, but I don't think, I don't think athletes move the needle that much, you know? So to make somebody, I mean, full transparency, like my brothers and I, the three of us combined own less than 20% of super coffee because we've raised so much money over the years. So like, and we're working on this thing seven days a week for the last six years, you know? So like, I don't think it's worth giving up a big chunk of equity to a celebrity who's going to talk about you once or twice a year. Uh, but in the other thing from the celebrity perspective, the reason they tread cautiously is like, you can't pay your rent with stock options. You know, like it's not a cash deal that, that some of these bigger brands pay them, but they do recognize the upside. I mean, it's, it's an investment. It's a gamble. You know, like if, if tonal hits it big, LeBron is set, like he's going to, it's going to be a huge investment. He's probably going to make him over a billionaire if he's not there already. Uh, but if it fails, then, okay, they used his likeness for something that didn't work out. It's probably not going to change his quality of life all that much. Right. I'm really, I, I thank you for saying that, by the way, the full transparency, the fact that you guys own less than 20%, because I think that's a really big, big thing. Cause when people raise, I, I was going to ask you about that. And so I'm glad you mentioned it because you've raised so much money that you have to be giving up so, such a lion's share of what you own. Why did you choose, did you really need to raise that much money to grow that fast? Could you have done it differently and own more of the company? Yeah, it's a good question. And, and so the answer is yes. I don't think we would have grown that fast and I don't think we would be as big as we are today. So it's, it's the classic paradox of uh, do I want a big piece of something small or a small piece of, of something big? You know, and, and for us, I think we saw an opportunity, right place, right time in this bottle of coffee industry. We had momentum. Uh, the, the industry was controlled by Starbucks. Duncan was just getting going. And then for us to, to be this sort of insurgent brand, it's like, yeah, let's raise some cash and double down and, and make this thing as big as we can, as fast as we can. Uh, I, I think bottled coffee, beverage in general, and all, all food and beverage really is low margin, high volume. You know, we, you, you buy a bottle of super coffee at the grocery store for $3. You know, that means we're making $1.50 on that, that sale. Uh, and it costs us a dollar to make the bottle, you know, so we're only coming home with 50 cents. You got to sell a lot of bottles for that, that have that 50 cent profit to be able to pay the bills. Uh, so I think we would not be where we're at. I probably wouldn't be talking to you today, to you today had we not raised the, uh, the amount of money we raised. Right. And how, what do you think are you using? How is social media for you in terms of sales like TikTok? Instagram, are they, are you, I mean, you're, I saw that you're on TikTok and obviously Instagram. Are they converting into sales for you guys? Does it work? I'm curious about that. Yeah. So we're not the ideal direct to consumer product in that we're heavy to ship, you know, cause it's a liquid, uh, it's a low average order value. You can buy it online for $35 and uh, the, the lifetime value is what we have to, to extend. But basically, um, we do, we do spend a lot of money on ads on both Facebook and Instagram, 
But once Apple changed those privacy settings earlier this year, the iOS 14 settings, the ads, the cost to acquire customers went from $40 to $80, you know, so it doesn't make sense for us to spend $80 on a customer who has $150 lifetime value, you know, or $100 lifetime value. So it's what we are certainly exploring new channels. I think TikTok is an exciting one, getting content there, even classic things like YouTube ads or Snapchat ads, places that are a bit diversified from Facebook and Instagram. The other thing too, I mean, Facebook's response to Apple was, okay, Apple, you're going to allow us to serve less ads, less efficiently. We're just going to raise our prices on ads. And because they have such a monopoly on all of that traffic and, and click all those clicks, they can do it. You know, they had a great quarter. Q3 was a great quarter for Facebook because they jacked up their ad revenue. But for right. us, it doesn't make sense to spend more on something that like we, at one point we were paying twice as much to acquire a customer as they were paying for the product. You know, the lifetime value of that customer better be huge or else you're not going to make money in that deal. So, I mean, so many companies must be in the same shoes as you, right? So I find that like, how does that benefit Facebook at the end, right? Because more people are just more and more people will not be doing it that way because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think like call it 80% of Facebook's revenue comes from like 20% of the advertisers. So the big brands, the Nikes, the the Under yeah. Armors, you know, the, the the really big brands. And then there's probably thousands or even millions of companies like us who pay smaller amounts just to make up that that 20% of, of revenue for Facebook. So they realize Facebook realizes that okay, they might lose some smaller guys but the big guys can still afford to, to weather the storm. And what we're starting to see now too is like Coke and Pepsi and Dr. Pepper, they're getting smart. They're pulling off a Facebook ad. So I think Facebook is going to have to respond sooner than later. I mean, they're investing a bunch in this metaverse, you know, like there's mm -hmm. probably some new technologies coming that's going to be cool. Um, I just saw, I mean, maybe you've seen it, but like Facebook offered live shopping. It's kind of like- Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I, I, I'd be curious to see how that performs. Uh, but they're trying to reinvent themselves too. They have to. Yeah, I know. I'm curious myself because I'm, I mean, a lot of brands uh, that I know they're selling strictly on Amazon, and they're not even in brick and mortar, and they're making they're making a lot of money by spending. Uh, they do a lot. Of, they do only digital ads, and then they're selling it all on Amazon. Um, was that? Are you selling well on Amazon? I guess that's my first question. Yeah. Yeah. So our online, so, so 80% of our revenue happens in stores. We call that retail. And then 20% right. is direct to consumer or e-commerce. And of that 20%, it's about a 50, 50 split our website, mm -hmm. drinksupercoffee.com, And then Amazon, uh, Amazon's a little bit less profitable after we pay like the seller fees and, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, but it's efficient. The, the cost to acquire customers on Amazon is cheaper within their, their advertising platform than it is on Facebook for us. So then what, so that is, so what is the, the best that you've tried so far in terms of the digital marketing spend? Forget about Facebook. I mean, Amazon, I get that's worked the best is YouTube. You said TikTok is going to be something that you're very interested to see what happens, but has YouTube been the most, the best for you in terms of YouTube ads? Yeah, I think YouTube has been the best. There's not one thing, right? And I hate this answer because I wish that there was one thing. It's like you have to be pretty good. You have to diversify, right? So if you have $100 to spend, spend it on, on five different platforms, $20 mm -hmm. per platform. So put some money into Facebook, some money into TikTok, some money because they're all going to perform better than others in, in, in certain aspects. Uh, so, yeah, I think we have a really well-rounded marketing mix. 
Uh, and it's also good for situations like this with Facebook where you don't have all of your eggs in one basket. I mean, there's companies that I know that are strictly direct to consumer companies that are going out of business because they fully relied on Facebook driving new customer acquisition at a low cost. Right. Right. So, um, I mean, and also now that you're, but you're like, it's you're. I guess you're lucky that you're in all brick and mortar. Like you have such a dominant, uh, you're so visible there. How are you moving product off of there? What's the marketing behind that? What are you doing to move product off the shelves there? Is it a different strategy? How are you doing it? Pouring samples, baby. Is it still, <laughs> is it, but no, with the pandemic, you weren't allowed to do anything and you've been yeah, growing. Yeah. Have you, what was your growth like during the pandemic? So it's a good question. I think the, the, the marketing piece is uh, in store, you want to be as visible as possible. You know, so like if, if that, that cooler that you referenced earlier, like if we only have four facings in that cooler because it's limited space, we want to have a, a, a shipper, like a cardboard display shipper right outside in the aisle. We want to have a, a, our branded refrigerator in the self-checkout lanes. You know, we want to be over in the bakery because when people smell donuts, they want to buy coffee, you know, like, and, and our team has to go through and make those plays happen based on, based on their relationships with the store managers um, in the pandemic. So the pandemic hurt the beverage industry because a lot of beverage is grab and go a lot of gas stations, a lot of convenience. And with people not commuting to work, uh, there was just a lot less foot traffic, but the grocery industry stayed strong where people were shopping grocery less, but they were buying more each time. So they'd stock up their carts mm -hmm. and, and, for super coffee, we had a, a strong presence in grocery in grocery stores. We weren't that well distributed in convenience stores yet. So we, we were actually protected a little bit. Uh, so we doubled our sales last year during the pandemic um, and we'll double them again this year, which is, which is exciting. We're, we're doing uh, a fight in the good fight in a, in an industry that isn't benefiting from COVID. Right. No kidding. Uh, how about your other product line? Cause I know you've obviously, you've got tons of SKUs, right? So you have, how, how about your creamers? How are they selling? Like, what do you have besides tell people? Because, I mean, you know more than I do what you have. Yeah. So we started out as bottled coffee. You know, we wanted to be the healthy alternative to the Starbucks Frappuccino. And we applied that same reasoning to the creamer set. You know, we looked at creamers and it was international delight and coffee mate. It's a bigger category. Like, bottled coffee, when we started, was $3 billion in revenue. Creamers, $4 billion. And there's only two, two main players make up most of those sales. It's international delight and it's coffee mate. Uh, and those, those drinks are like canola oil, sugar, gross, I know. yeah, I mean, it can't be good for you yet. You see it in everybody's fridge, you know, like yeah. my, my aunt, who's one of our healthiest, the healthiest people I know keeps her coffee mate right in the fridge. Uh, it's so, so true. It's so true. <laughs> it's like one of those things where no matter how healthy the person is and they eat so clean, you open, they have the French vanilla coffee mate, the sugar free yeah. or whatever. It's so right. true. <laughs> Totally. Everybody. And, and I mean, that's just because those are the only options, right? Yeah. If you want a coffee creamer, it's either coming from coffee made or international delight. And now you're seeing like, um, healthy, like dairy alternatives pop up like, uh, Califia farms and nut pods and brands like that. So for us, we were like, look, there's, there's room for disruption in this category. Let's be the low sugar, zero sugar. Let's be the zero sugar, high protein, low calorie coffee creamer to to a, a international delight or a coffee mate so again it wasn't as sexy as bottle coffee not as high velocities not as high high sales but uh sales are going super well um i, I would say probably 60 percent of our revenue is bottled coffee mm -hmm. uh 30 percent is the creamers and then 10 percent is pods and grounds so we have k-cups and ground coffee enhanced with vitamins and antioxidants oh i never tried that part i never tried that the ground coffee before and then yeah, they're good. Why don't you do cold brew? 
we do have a cold brew. So we have a cold brew in a can. Uh, kind of looks like this. It's uh, oh uh, yeah, but that has cream and all that. Like just plain black cold brew. Yeah. So we do. It's it's uh it's not everywhere. So like if if we're presenting to a retailer like Ralph's out in Southern California, we'll give them our our nine best moving flavors, and they'll usually take four or five of them. So cold brew. I mean, you and I love cold brew. That's what I drink in the morning. Yeah, me but too. The reality of America still wants sweet. They want flavor. Mm. And so cold brew is probably one of the last items that we get into a set when we're presenting our best selling items. That's so interesting. So what's the so of the coffee stuff? So are your is your best seller the the um, the jar of coffee? The like coffee with which one is it? Do you have it there? Do you want to show it? I'm just um, I'm yeah, actually so, just curious. Right, Not so that this one. Is French vanilla. I, I don't have anything else within reach. Like you have, um, I know I saw it at Sprouts. It was like four ninety nine, and it was a yeah. a glass bottle. Yeah, so we're converting the glass into uh, into this next year. So it's like a jumbo super coffee. Um, oh, why are you doing yeah. that? Thirty two ounces because it's it's more recognizable to our our bottle, and uh, it's it just looks better. So this this performed a lot better. Uh, and it's all recycled PET, so it's full post-consumer recyclable. Save it's like the yeah. sustainable equivalent to glass. Uh, and this is actually the cold brew too. So yeah, I mean this sells super well. Multi-serve, like something like this that has three or four servings in it, um, performed super well during the pandemic because people were just stocking up their fridges. Right. Uh, so that's a that's a big opportunity for us. This that product that I just showed you doesn't come out until next year. My CMO is going to kick my ass for showing you. Over, I was going to say, I, I would actually legit buy that stuff though. Cause I love, I only drink cold brew. That's the problem. Like if someone, your stuff, like you said, it's much more mass mainstream for people who are liking the, the, the flavored and all that stuff. So someone like me, what would be the best product for someone like me, who's very health oriented and health conscious and likes the cold brew? Which one would I, which one would I drink? You would go with our super cold brew. And if you don't have it yet, I'm going to send you a bunch of it. But it's all black coffee and it's strong. There's 250 milligrams of caffeine in, in an 11 ounce can. But we add L-theanine, which is a green tea extract that kind of mellows you out. Uh, so it's nice and smooth. I'll, I'll send you some of that. Yeah, I love that. That's great. So then how, are you doing the whole, I mean, I know you are, but how much do you spend on like the influencer world and on the social media? Like I want to talk a little bit more about that because I know a lot of companies and brands and people ask me all the time because there's like, I, I, you know, and you're, you're in, you're in the like weeds with it. Like how important is uh, um, influencers are, do they convert? Does it pe depend on who it is? I'm interested in that. Yes. The, the answer is yes to all of those things. They do convert. <laughs> it does depend on who it is. Um, I would say 10% of our digital marketing budget goes to goes to uh, influencers and partnerships. Um, it's mainly right now high-end fitness. So Super Coffee performs really well in places like Barry's Bootcamp and Equinox and things like that. So a lot of our influencers are coaches and athletes and not super famous people. Like my, my buddy Devin has 500,000 followers and he, he bear crawled the New York City Marathon and, and he's constantly like optimizing his body through food and beverages and things like that. So I follow him actually. And, yeah, I, you, yeah. and I found him through you guys because I was looking at your stuff. He's great though. I think he's, I really like him. Like in terms he's of awesome. like, he's so like, he's like a great, I, I like him. As terms of, he's a great fitness influencer. He does like, he's so fit and he's always doing like, like amazing shit basically. 
Totally. He's doing yeah. backflips. He's doing crazy stunts that people like, so there's an entertainment value to it, but he's also saying like, Hey guys, to keep my body in, in the best possible shape, I'm doing stem cell therapy or I'm doing this, or I'm wearing this gear and I'm drinking this product. And I mean, he's been, he's been super great because he'll literally post about drinking super coffee every single morning as a part of his routine. That has far more of an impact for us mm -hmm. than Jennifer Lopez, who has 180 million followers posting one time. Totally. You know, people kind of see through those things. So yeah, we're and, and Devin actually has a, a company called Creator & Co, where he takes influencers and sort of throws them into this metric where he can measure performance. So like, uh, for instance, if he was measuring himself, he would say, hey, I posted three times this month, it drove $100 in sales to drinksupercoffee.com, you should pay me $50 based, based on that. Uh, versus like in the past, we never really had any way to track that we would put we might pay a yoga instructor $3,000 a month for three or four posts and, and uh, some content that we could use in email, but we didn't know if it was actually driving revenue. Um, so yeah, I think influencers are, are good for brand awareness and they provide that social proof. You know, if, if you follow somebody who you trust and look up to on, on Instagram and they're drinking something that tells you that that helps them, you're probably going to go buy it. Now there's coming, people are coming out with tools like Devin to figure out what that actual value is. Yeah, no, a couple of things that you just said. Number one, I don't you think that micro influencers are better than like you were saying, like someone like a Jennifer Lopez? Because I think you're absolutely like on point there. If she's posting the goalie, whatever, apple cider vinegar thing, we know she's getting paid. No one gives a shit. We know like, yeah, you got a huge check for that. We're moving on. Versus someone who has like even like 80,000 followers, 100,000 who are... And, and the people who follow these people are super engaged in their life and are interested and curious. You know, you're much more apt to do what they're doing because you know you you feel it's much more authentic and real, right? Um, do you do that then? Are you focusing much more on the micro versus? I mean, Devin, even by the way, at five hundred thousand, I know he's no Jennifer Lopez at one hundred eighty million, but that's still not a micro influencer anymore. I mean, you're still pretty big at that point. Yeah. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And and Devin, I mean, he could charge a premium to, to brands. You yeah, know, he, he, he certainly does because it moves the needle. He has an impact at, at that engaged following. Uh, but yeah, there, there's folks in our network, 10,000, 30,000, even 100,000 followers uh, that are humans, you know, they're, they're, they're normal people. And I think that that's the, the, the allure of a micro influencer is there, there's something about them that makes us want to follow them and learn from them and do what they're doing. But they're also like not on this pedestal like J-Lo where like J-Lo to me doesn't even seem human. I've, we've met her in person. We've given exactly. her hugs. We sat in her kitchen. And, and she's like a goddess, you know, like it's not something that, that we can understand versus somebody like my, my friend Dan Churchill, who's a, a, a chef. He's a, he's a celebrity in Australia. He's a, he's a great guy, but he's also like a normal dude, too. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Something like relatable. So true. It's so funny about Jennifer Lopez. Everyone's, I mean, I would be the same way. I don't know why, but like I meet people all the time. I could care less. She does seem like she's like not a human. <laughs> like she seems like not of this world. What right. do you, did that, and when you said, why is that though? It's so stupid. Yeah, it is so stupid. And and I think because she's been so famous for so long, you know, we used to watch her like Jenny from the block, you yes. know, made in Manhattan. Like, <laughs> and and, and to, to actually be like she was in her sweatpants and, and a cami sitting there drinking her tea. I'm like, that's J-Lo, you know, like it, it, it was it was wild. And honestly, to, to, to her credit, she was super cool and humble and modest and like curious. You know, she was asking us questions about the beginning of this, the, 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 the company. But to us, it was like, 
yes, ma'am. Like I'll bow down and kiss your feet if you ask me to. You know, it just felt it just felt different. <laughs> totally, that's so cute. I totally understand what you're saying. Um, what else? I was going to ask. I just wanted to ask you one more thing um, that we were just. Oh, I can't remember now, but so wait, I'll, I'll get back. I'll think about it or I'll get back to me. But so how are you, what's your, how are you evolving? Like what's the next thing? So you've got the creamers. I saw what you're coming out with next year with the, with the cold brew, which I'm excited about. How do you continue to grow and scale since now you've raised so much money? How, what, like, how do you, what do you do now? Like what's the next move? Yeah. So uh, today we're in, we're probably only in 50% of the potential stores that we can be in. So yeah, really? there's, a lot, there's a lot of stores in the US. Yeah. And I mean, think about where beverages are sold. You got Home Depot, you got a beverage cooler at every checkout lane so in Home true. Depot, Dollar Store, Marshalls, TJ Maxx, you know, like random places like that, that, that you don't really think about. Um, so we got a long way to go in terms of building out distribution here in the US. Wait, well, so uh, hold on. Focus- what's your what's your number one chain that does the best? I'm cu- I'm I don't want to piss anybody off here, but Publix down in the Southeast, Publix. 1200 stores, that thing cranks. And then nationally, I would say Target. Target is is our best store uh, yeah. on a national level. Yeah. Store store for store. Uh, there's a Target out there in Manhattan Beach. That thing cranks. Really? How about yeah, how is. about um, Era One? And you're not in Era One, right? Yeah, oh, you are? Era One. Oh, Era you are? good. Yep. Um, they're great. They So, you know, like you go into Era One and you'll see like a brand that's on display mm-hmm. on an end cap. So that Erewhon does super well uh, in in those in those types of environments. The trouble with Erewhon is it's small. I think there's only six of them. Totally, and it's super expensive, and it's not the real mar- It's not the real world. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, how many people can really afford to spend? You know, to shop there. Um, now, are you guys paying at Erewhon? Are you guys paying for those end caps, end caps, and for the displays? Yeah, typically yeah. it's a it's a promotion, right? So we'll get a display when we're on a deal. So like a two for five or a buy one, get one free, something like that. So they get to benefit from that the higher gross margin on those things. And it's for us, it's just a, a product discount. Uh, but it's good. It's good for exposure. It is a, a high-end audience. I think Erewhon's kind of like a tourist attraction. You know, people don't really go there for their groceries. Totally. They go there to see like what's up. Yeah, you're totally right. Although there are people, I live here who only shop at Erewhon. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't care how much money you have. Like to shop all, to, to buy your groceries there to me is like absurd. Like straw, yeah. and I don't care. I'm sorry to say that if everyone's listening, but like strawberries that would be like $3.99 anywhere else is like $12. Right. Like, yeah. like, you know, like it's just being common sense. Like it, it, you, you, why would you do that? It doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. I saw it. They had a coconut yogurt. A yogurt, like a Chobani is what, five bucks for a big jug of Chobani? Coconut yeah. yogurt was like $27. Like yeah. I, could get a, I could get a filet for $27. <laughs> exactly. Like I do that conversion in my head all the time. I'm like, I walk in there I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll buy this something. I never, I always walk out with like nothing because I just, nothing. it's yeah. the principle of it. I couldn't, like, I can't just do it because it's the principle when I know down the road, I can go buy, buy find the same thing for a little bit cheaper. Um totally. So I'm sorry, you were just saying something though about, um, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, like where you're going with the brand and how you're going to, what were you yeah, saying? Building out distribution. So uh, the I think some people might not know this, but like when you see us in a Target or a Walmart or a CVS, we don't necessarily sell to those stores. We sell to a distributor who services all of those stores. So our distributor nationally is Anheuser-Busch. We signed a deal with them last year. Mm. Uh, we're the exclusive coffee of AB. 
And the food paradigm in the U.S. is, is shifting right now. You know, people are buying less Coca-Cola and less Budweiser and Bud Light. You know, so the big guys, Coke, Pepsi, Anheuser-Busch, they need to carry healthier items. So AB's got a, a, a big push into non-alcoholic brands. Um, you saw the rise of hard seltzer over the last mm-hmm. couple of years because beer sales are declining. Uh, so they're looking to diversify. They've been a great partner so far. Uh, we're definitely there's definitely a big learning curve from their part. You know, these are these are sales reps. They have 10,000 sales reps that are used to selling. Bud Light and Budweiser to, to every store in the country. And now to sell a coffee that is zero sugar with MCT oil is a little bit of a, a different a different pitch. Um, so really working with those guys hand in hand, they're our partners to, to really bring this brand to the next level. Um, we're definitely available in more and more places. You'll, you'll see it uh, in, in most spots where you can buy groceries, but I think we still have a, a, a lot to focus on. And then the long term, next two to three years, I would say international you know we don't do anything overseas yet uh canada mexico could be a good opportunity but japan china they drink a lot of bottled coffee uh and then people always ask like will we ever launch our own cafes i think yeah but it has to be in line with our brand you know maybe building out a cafe concept within an equinox or or within the confines of like a uh, a high-end gym rather than opening up like a standalone coffee shop mm, that's that's that makes that makes sense you're not in canada I'm Canadian. Oh, not so. in Canada yet. Oh, interesting. Where are you from? Yeah, I'm from, well, Winnipeg and then Toronto. I mean, okay. yeah. So you're not in Canada. That's surprising. So you're right. You do have a long way to go, actually. You have a long, long way, way to go. Yeah, we're still babies yet. Yeah, although in Canada, you have five people. So it's not like it's going to make or break <laughs> your brand. But yes. Um, well, I think that's basically, I, if, is there anything else that I, I, I don't think I missed anything. But if I did, well, you'll come back and we'll go on the treadmills and we can do, you know, podcast too. But yeah, uh, that'd be great. No, I, I guess if anything else, I'm just wondering your opinion. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in wellness or in food and beverage and in consumer packaging? Is there any trends that you're noticing or that's yeah, going to be kind of an optic? Yeah, it's, I mean, it, and it's, it's all stuff that, that you've seen before. So uh, people are getting healthier. You know, nobody wants to get sick and they're realizing that food, the wrong foods can make you sick or at least wear down your body's defenses and the right foods can enhance them, you know, so I think people are shying away from sugar. They're shying away from artificial ingredients, things like uh, vegetable oils, canola oil, stuff like that are starting to get a bad rap. So uh, what you're starting to see, the, 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 the number one truth in food that drives purchase, purchase decision is it has to taste good. Mm-hmm. So people, mainstream America is not yet willing to sacrifice their flavor for something that is good for them. You know, so if it's going to be good for somebody, it has to taste good, too. Totally. Uh, and I think that's the challenge that, that we as, as Better For You brands face is like, how can we get something to taste like it has 46 grams of sugar in it by using natural sweeteners, you know, without the aspartame or the, the sucralose or, or things like that? Uh, so I, I think this this push into flavor innovation is going to be key. You obviously see a big plant based trend with brands like Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods and Oatly. Um any type of functional ingredients that can be added into things that we love, collagen, protein, healthy fats, adaptogenic ingredients like mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's tough because at Erewhon, yeah, that works. But at Walmart, Walmart's not ready for that. You know, So uh, for us, our story at Walmart, we're 70 calories and zero sugar and we taste like a Starbucks frappuccino. You know, we're yeah. not telling people about MCT oil. We're not beating them over the heads with biohacking. Like it, this tastes like the stuff that you like and it's good for you. Yeah. That's good. Do you have a different message for people that who are shopping at, I don't know, Whole Foods? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, especially if I'm behind the demo table, I, I cater to the audience. I get super bougie. I'm yeah. like, these are the, the finest medium chain triglycerides <laughs> from the best coconuts in the world. And they're like, oh, great. Tell me more. Like, how many, how many ketones are in that thing? And I'm like, you know, I'll play along with it. And then in, in Walmart, it's like, is this thing on sale? Is it, is it sweet? I'm like, yeah, it's sweet. You want to try a sample? Yeah, exactly. Oh, I didn't ask you this one last question, and then, then yeah. I'm going to let you go. What is your daily habits? What do you do? What's your daily routine? What time do you wake up in the morning? What do you do for exercise? What's your thing? I know we. Yes. I know you drink super coffee. I drink super coffee, but that's not the first coffee. I, I'll usually drink black coffee in the morning. But um, so honestly, full transparency, like I'm not. No two days are the same for me. I wish I could tell you that. 5.30 every day, my alarm goes off, I pop out of bed, I'm reading a book, I'm meditating, I'm drinking my water. It's like, it, it, it really all depends on how I feel. I think sleep has become a big priority for me. And I do wake up early. My alarm usually goes off between 5.30 and 6.30 every morning. Uh, but in order to do that, I got to be asleep by 9.30 or 10.30 at night. You know, So like shutting it down early is important for me. I want eight hours of sleep. Uh, I'll work out probably four or five days a week, but not really any specific time. I got a cool workout group on, on 6.30 a.m. On, on Tuesday and Thursday, so I'll usually do that. My girlfriend's big into triathlon, so I've been running more. I think it's super important for me to move every day, you know, even if it's yoga, if it's if it's 20 minutes. That's one thing, like, I've, I've given myself a little grace that, like, I don't need to go to the gym for an hour to consider it a workout. You know, I could get 15 minutes in a hotel gym and feel really productive, you know, and healthy, and, like, that wakes me up more than any coffee could. Uh, and then I think another non-negotiable for me is, is food. So I avoid added sugars. I don't eat that much bread or that many carbs. Um, and I'll supplement with like protein and healthy fats and a lot of veggies. So, uh, I do that where I can too. But you're not a vegan, are you? Not a vegan. No, I am a, I am an avid bow hunter. I, I, I like to, uh, to, to shoot, shoot or eat what I kill. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh my gosh. Good for yeah. you. Okay. Um, well then how do people, I guess everyone now heard all this. You could buy super coffee anywhere. You can go to your the website, super coffee, you go to Amazon, you can go to any major retailer, Target, Walmart, Sprouts, Whole Foods, Publix. Am I missing any? Ralph's. That's it. Ralph's for sure. Yeah. If you're in Southern California, go to Ralph's. Uh, but you nailed it. That's all of them. And how about you? Do, should we follow you? Or anyone you want, or you don't really give a crap about that? You're just follow yeah, Super Coffee. You follow, yeah, no, <laughs> you'll see a lot of Super Coffee on my page. I'm, I'm just at Jimmy DeSico5. I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn as well. Uh, if you go to Super Coffee's page, you can find me and my brothers as well. I'm just, I think it's great what you've done. I, I mean, you should be really, really proud. You guys are so young and you guys are just like, you know, are doing, it's just a really amazing story. And so inspiring to people who are young and one, or even young or old who have something that they want to do. And they have to just have a little bit of like tenacity, persistence, determination, just a little bit of each and just a little bit bit, and just like go after it. So I really appreciate your, your time, Jimmy. It was really nice talking to you and I wish you guys so much luck. Um, That's it. Thanks for coming on. Habits and hustle, time to get it rolling. Stay up on the grind, don't stop, keep it going. Habits and hustle, from nothing into something. All out, hosted by Jennifer Cohen. Visionaries, tune in, you can get to know them. Be inspired, this is your moment. Excuses, we ain't having that. The Habits and Hustle Podcast, powered by Habit Nest.
This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.